Welcome to Coaching Kids Curling, a podcast for youth curling coaches and program organizers. I'm Glenn Gabriel, a certified curling coach who lives in Pickering, Ontario, Canada. My mission is to give you the advice, resources, and inspiration you need to make your program better. Brittany Tran is a competitive curler from Alberta who played in the Scotties and Mixed Doubles Championship in the Calgary bubble. In this episode, we talk about why she got involved with Curling Canada's diversity initiative and what we can do to increase the number of BIPOC curlers in our sport. Brittany, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Glenn. Thanks for having me. Well, Brittany, I wanted you to come on to the podcast today uh, for a couple of reasons, but let me uh, give a bit of an explanation. So for people who don't know already, I'm a Filipino-Canadian, and I've been curling for about 15 years and coaching as well. So I personally have had an interest in seeing more diversity in the sport, and I wanted you on the podcast for uh, a couple of reasons. One is obviously you are an Asian Canadian and, and you're playing at the highest level of our sport. And also recently, I saw you on the cover of the Diversity and Inclusivity Resource Guide that Curling Canada recently released. So I, I absolutely want to talk about the resource guide, but I, I want to start back in time and ask you about your background. Brittany, where did you grow up? And, and how did you first get involved in curling? Yeah, I grew up here, uh, in Red Deer, Alberta, and I first got into it through family. So um, as you mentioned, I'm Asian-Canadian, so my dad is Vietnamese, and my mom is from Red Deer, and she's Caucasian. So um, her side of the family, um, with my grandpa, they were all interested in curling. They watched it, so I saw it on TV, and then uh, my grandpa thought it'd be great for me and some of my cousins to start getting into it. So uh, he took us to the rink and we started um, just in the Little Rocks. So that was really fun to be able to do with them. And he was my coach for the first few years. And then I kind of started getting more interested, more involved, and then uh, started to look for a competitive team. And and that's kind of how I got into the competitive side of things. And I just kind of fell in love with the sport. So I kind of continued on and here we are today. How old were you when you started? I started when I was six years old. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, what was it about curling specifically that, that uh, attracted you to the sport? Uh, was, was there anything in particular? Yeah, my uh, grandpa and I were really close and uh, with my cousins as well. So it was kind of a fun family thing to do with them. And um, I just really enjoyed kind of that aspect, the social aspect. And as I grew older, you know, being able to have teammates who I was best friends with, and it was fun being able to travel with them and compete with them. And then not only between teammates, but, you know, um, the camaraderie between teams and everything. So I had a lot of friends from other teams and got to meet a lot of people. And so I really enjoyed kind of the family and social friends aspect and being able to build a community that way. Now, as you've already said, your father is Vietnamese. What was his introduction to the sport like? I mean, I'm assuming he didn't know what curling was when he first came to Canada. Yeah, no, he didn't know it at all. So I, I think it was really new to him to uh, 
to come into, and he uh, mentioned that it was it was very unfamiliar territory. So he just had to slowly kind of learn with me. And so as I was learning, he was learning. He would come watch when I'd play competitively, and and it was all new to him. So he he now knows it, and he I can talk strategy with him and stuff like that, and he really enjoys it now. At first, you know. I think he was kind of getting used to it, getting to know the strategy, and and it might have been a little bit uncomfortable, but um, he really enjoys it now. And my younger sister started curling as well, so uh, he kind of was able to do the same thing with her, and he he had a good sense for the sport. So, oh, that's great. That's great. Now, as you grew older, obviously you, you've started playing more competitively. Uh, uh, yeah, could you talk a bit about your your transition into the competitive realm, especially as a younger athlete? Yeah, I was just kind of playing in the. I started off in little rocks, as I said, and then I grew into big rocks, <laughs> the normal rocks, I guess. And um, I was just playing in leagues, and and a group of girls approached me and asked me if I wanted to kind of go to a bond spiel with them. So I was like, oh yeah, sure, that sounds great. That sounds fun. And so I played it, ended up playing a couple events with them. And then, um, there was another group of girls that were around the same age as me because my original team, they were a couple years older. And so, um, this other team approached me and it was Jocelyn Peterman. And so, uh, at the time I thought that it'd be great to be with some people that were closer to my age. And, and so I joined her team and with that group and, um, we began competing and um, we were all in Red Deer, so it was really easy at the time. And and then, um, yeah, it just kind of grew from there. We just started going to more and more events and, and got into it that way. Just to interject one little bit here, I had to discover where Red Deer was. I, I'll, <laughs> I'll be perfectly honest. I didn't know where it was on a map until uh, I, I sort of went to Google Maps. It's how, basically between... Calgary and Edmonton, right? Yeah, pretty much right in the middle. What was it like growing up in Red Deer? I, I don't know. I don't even know how big of a town it is. Or yeah, could you tell me a bit about growing up in that city? Yeah, Red Deer is. Um, it's a great community. I really enjoy growing up there. Um, it's kind of, I guess, a medium-sized city, um, and the curling community was great. But um, it is a little bit kind of more rural and uh, maybe not quite as diverse as you'll see in some of the bigger cities and, and stuff like that. So um, growing up there, it was, it was great, but yeah, just didn't see as much diversity. I mean, obviously you, you've grown and, and you, as you grew, you started playing in more competitive events and with more competitive teams, obviously Jocelyn Peterman's team, you won the Canadian juniors and you moved up into the women's curling. I guess my question now is, as you were growing in the sport, was being a, a person of color ever an issue to you? Or what was your experience like as you started, I guess, playing uh, outside of Red Deer or even outside of the province? Yeah, um, it was never, I would say an issue for me necessarily. Um, I didn't feel like uncomfortable because of the way I looked or because of my ethnicity um, or anything like that. Uh, I've, I felt pretty welcomed in the sport and, and, you know, I know some other people may not have had 
uh, a similar situation or story and that there are people who've had a little bit more struggle, maybe feeling like they belong. And so, yeah, for me, it it was okay. I didn't uh, see too many people that I guess were like me or diverse um, in my curling community too much, but I didn't really notice it, I guess, or I wasn't paying attention to it as much back then or in the moment, but it's something that I've kind of thought about now. And um, as I've been able to travel a little bit more, obviously I've seen more diverse curlers and, and people around. And I think even, you know, in the grand slams and stuff like that, we're starting to see some of the, the Asian teams are starting to do really well. So we, we are seeing some more um, people like that around. So that's great. What made you decide to become involved with Curling Canada and uh, Curling Alberta and, and their diversity initiatives? What, what, what was the spark that got you, made you want to get involved with those uh, programs? Yeah. Um, as I said, I kind of didn't really notice it too much kind of in, in the moment, but it's something I've kind of noticed recently and just with the Black Lives Matter movement happening Um, I thought it was a good time to kind of maybe use some of that momentum and some of the conversations that were going on. And uh, so with that, I reached out to Curling Canada just to see what they had going on and if there was something that I could be a part of. And so um, they, it's something that they've been working on for, I think, quite a while now, but um, just with, you know, the heightened awareness with recent events, um, they wanted to build uh, a panel so the diversity inclusivity panel and so uh, I was able to join that so that was really exciting and and I have become a little bit more passionate and I know it's uh, even for myself it's still I'm learning and trying to educate myself and so you know listening to podcasts and reading some books and uh, looking into like I've started the U of A indigenous course program thing so um trying to trying to learn as I go along as well, but trying to provide the support I can and kind of any feedback or any perspectives I have from, from my angle. You said you were part of this panel. Could you tell me a bit about Curling Canada produced this document, this diversity and inclusion resource guide? It's a 24-page guide. And could you tell us a bit about the process that went into creating that? Yeah, it's a, it's a big document. There's lots of good information in there. Um, so the kind of the process was um, Curling Canada, their team built it out a bit. And then I was able to um, be able to have my input and my suggestions. So I got to see the document and, and be able to provide any kind of feedback that I saw from my vantage point and um, how to make it easily digestible and, and something that everyone can use and is applicable to everyone and provide as much uh, as we can for resources for curling clubs around Canada uh, to be able to provide a little bit more diversity and inclusivity in their curling clubs. And so I was able to pr- provide feedback that way. And then we've had a couple meetings there. There's quite a few of us on the consultation panel. And so they've taken a lot of kind of those conversations and, and included it in that package as well. Okay. Uh, who's on the panel? Uh, you don't have to give names, but like I'm assuming it's a range of people, like people from across the country uh, represent different kinds of diversity. Yeah, it's a, it's a very diverse panel, which is great. You know, 
that's the, that's the goal. Right. <laughs> so we have, uh, myself and, um, we have a diversity like all across Canada, different age groups, different levels of competitive play, um, or just volunteers, you know, all different people throughout the community. And then, yeah, it's diverse. We have, um, a couple of people from the BIPOC community and, and stuff like that from the LGBTQ community. So trying to really get, um, a whole bunch of different perspectives from from everyone on that panel. Now, the document itself, uh, it's 24 pages and it touches on everything from uh, unconscious bias to how clubs can can market to, you know, resources, lots of resources people can can use and bring to their uh, their clubs and their boards. Uh, if it's okay with you, I'd just like to go over a couple of things and maybe we can do a bit of brainstorming here and and see how clubs can really start to address making their memberships more diverse. Uh, sounds like a plan? Yeah, that sounds great. Awesome. A lot of the guide is focused on understanding uh, your local community. So, you know, everything from census data to uh, getting to know local organizations. How do we, I guess that's maybe that's the first topic like how how can we market and and make this sport attractive to different communities what what do you think are some of the first steps yeah i think um some of the first steps would just be to let them know that curling is a sport and it it's something that they can become involved in i think a lot of the communities don't even really know about curling um i know uh like my dad he wouldn't have known about curling if I didn't get involved with it or my family wasn't involved with it. So um, I think really just trying to promote the sport to them and let them know that it's there. It's kind of an option. It's something that's fun and something that they could do as a family and, and start off by just really bringing it into the communities. While I was reading the document, there was a bit in it about, you know, what's, what's the first thing people see when they walk into a club, right? Like literally as they open the door and they look around well, what are the uh, what what do they see? What is what's literally on the walls and you know on the trophy shelves, I guess, or uh, the posters? And, and I guess representation in that in that uh, respect is also important, right? Yeah, definitely. We've talked about kind of how people will feel walking into that and their level of comfort and um, what they see. So you know, a lot of the photos on the walls and stuff are it's an older demographic and generally Caucasian. So um, they might not feel as comfortable or might not feel like that's something that they want to do because they're not seeing people who look like them or are their ethnicity that, that do it. So um, that's definitely something that we've kind of chatted about and discussed, but that's a, that's a tougher one to help the curling clubs with, I guess, because uh, it is, you know, our history and it is, uh, everything that the curling clubs have worked at and those individuals and stuff like that. So, yeah. Funny enough, the guy talks about that pushback <laughs> mm-hmm. and at least recognize and acknowledge that it may be an issue at any, you know, at any individual club. A big part is like what the local community is like and, and who you're trying to attract. There's, there's also a section on maybe changing the format. I, I don't know if it's the format, but the, offering different ways to play the sport rather than the traditional four-person, eight-end game. Uh, what, what other ideas do you think, Brittany, 
clubs can use to uh, switch it up and maybe attract uh, a, a different kind of clientele? Yeah, I think our typical uh, game with four people, it's it's already small, so that's really great. You're not having to build, you know, like a whole team of 10 plus people. Um, but there are other options. Triples is becoming pretty popular, I think. I uh, haven't even played it myself, to be honest, but it's uh, new and exciting and mixed doubles as well, or just doubles. It doesn't even have to be mixed. So there's options there for if people aren't able to find uh, a full four-person team. And so I think bringing those into play would help a lot. And then just maybe even changing the format of the length of the season. So I think um, if you were coming into a new sport and, and the season is, you know, from October all the way till March, it's, it's pretty intimidating because you don't know if you're going to like it. It's a pretty high level commitment um, for going that long and potentially money wise um, it's quite expensive. So you know, when you break it down, it's not too bad, but up front, it seems like quite, uh, I'm blanking on the word, <laughs> quite a, com- it's quite a commitment. Right. Uh, so I think being able to, you know, have a spring league or a summer league that's six weeks or shorter, or a couple of curling clubs, I think have implemented a wraparound season. So it'll be a couple of weeks at the end of the season, and then it'll be a couple of weeks at the beginning of the season that the following year. So I think there's a lot of cool ideas and a lot of discussion going on that way. So, Well, when, when we spoke on the phone before, you did mention uh, another idea, which related to a uh, bond spiel in, in Lethbridge, I believe. It was a uh, Japanese bond spiel. Am I getting this correct? Yeah, it's a Japanese bond spiel in Lethbridge, Alberta here. And it's Lethbridge is a big club. It's a full 12 sheets and they're uh, jam-packed every year. They're, it's and um, it's a really fun time and they really enjoy it. And I've heard really good things come from that event. Did you say it was jam-packed? It like literally full 12 <laughs> sheets? Yeah, the full 12 sheets. So Wow, that's um, great. They've got, they've got quite the, the community down there and, and they really like it. So it's, and it's been going on for quite a few years now. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it probably attract people who would never even think about going to the club to to a curling club to, to at least try it once, and you know that's the that's the the bar you have to cross, right? <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. You know, if you can get them in there, I mean, uh, our, I think our sport speaks for itself. I think if you tried, I think you you'd like it. But yeah, it's that first goal of trying to get them into the club in the first place. So. Yeah, well, Brittany, this is uh, the Coaching Kids Curling Podcast. So uh, maybe you can just uh, switch the topic a bit to to attracting young people. I think off the top of my head, the number one way a lot of kids are introduced to curling is through rocks and rings, which goes right to the schools. Yeah, I'm just trying to brainstorm different ways that, you know, even my listeners can can try and attract more diverse population of young people to, to come out uh, and try the sport. Uh, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's where the diversity inclusion guide from Curling Canada, uh, that kit, it has some good information about how to reach out to different community associations or communities in the area or how to look at some of the census data or just see who's around. And so I think that's a good first step. And then reaching out to 
those communities and seeing if they'd be interested or, you know, having a couple more learned curls just for them specifically where they can all try it together and stuff like that as a, as a family might be great as well, because then the parents get to learn about it a little bit more and might get the, might sign their kids up. And so I think that's, that's a good start. And then, yeah, Rocks and Rings is a great program. It's, I think they go, go to quite a few schools throughout the, the year. And so I think that's a great way of kind of getting the first introduction. I think um, there'd be maybe some exciting opportunities there as well for afterwards, because when, when they go into the school, from what I've heard, the feedback's great. All the kids really enjoyed it. The teachers really liked it. Um, but I think there's a couple steps um, after that that we could kind of try to start implementing where if Rocks and Rings is at the school, potentially maybe we can leave some informational documents about curling and how to reach out to your local curling club to get involved. Or maybe we could have an on-ice session after that where the kids actually get to try it on ice and, you know, start to get things happening a little bit more that way. And maybe even having some training for the teachers for the schools, because then if the teachers are more comfortable with it, they might get the kids more involved or might be able to do more field trips and stuff like that. Um, There's some other things going on as well with Curling Alberta, which I think are great. Uh, They got a couple grants, which are very helpful. And the grants are there to try to increase the sport opportunities from underrepresented uh, or marginalized populations. So they, they have some funding to be able to implement a youth program. So it's a youth learned curl program for, that goes on for five weeks and they um, are able to do it completely for free, which is amazing because sometimes that is a barrier. And so being able to at least help with that is, is really amazing. And yeah, those are some of my ideas right now, I guess. (laughs) Oh yeah, no, that that's great, Brittany. I know that for my particular program every spring around March break, we hosted a, a try curling, which is basically a, a kid's learn to curl. And it was literally an hour, an hour and a half on the ice, but it gave the opportunity for a lot of kids who would never try curling to come in. And it was, it was inexpensive. It was like 15, $20 per kid. And it included ice time and a snack. So if there's ways to bring uh, kids in, I, I think in the future, when we get back, it would be good to maybe offer more of those, as you were saying, like offering more beginners or learn to curls, just to get the opportunity for people to try out the sport without committing to uh, a whole season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it's, it's such a weird sport that, you know, a kid's expected to sign up for 20 weeks, at least in a lot of clubs or the whole season with, they might not even know if they like the sport. Yeah, definitely. I think that's, that's a part of it for sure. Even being able to kind of have that league or the juniors or something like that going on for that amount of time, but kind of breaking it up into smaller chunks. So maybe it's just eight weeks at a time. And then if you want to sign up again, you can, or if somebody who missed the boat at the beginning, they could sign up later. So it might be able to kind of keep it going that way. And that might be a good option as well. Uh, Brittany, you're currently curling with Team Skirlik, correct? Yes, I am. Okay. And now they are also Asian Canadian, correct? Yeah, I'm curling with Ashton Skirlik and Kayla Skirlik, and uh, they're both half Japanese, half Caucasian. 
Brittany, have you ever talked to them about the issue of diversity in curling? Yeah, I have. Um, on some of our road trips, it's a conversation that we get into and kind of how we can make an impact there and and how we felt or situations we've been in. And I feel like they've had a pretty similar situation that I've I've described and and it's they've never felt uncomfortable or anything like that. And and they've felt pretty included. And I think that's a testament to our communities that we've been involved with. This might sound like an unusual question, but or maybe one that's I don't know cliched. But do you do you consider yourselves role models for Asian Canadians who who might want to try this sport? Like, is that something that you think about? I guess I never did originally. I just felt like I was uh, at normal anyone else out there. I never never really thought about it too much, but um, I guess recently. With the conversation going, um, it kind of has turned out to be that way. So, you know, if it helps, I, I don't mind at all. Brittany, let me give you a hypothetical situation. If a young Asian Canadian girl came up to you, maybe she's 10 years old, and says to you, you know, I, I found out about curling. Why should I play this sport? What, what would you tell her? Yeah, I think I would... Um, say it, it's an amazing sport. Uh, it would be great for you to be a part of it. We would love for you to join. Uh, I think it's a lot of fun. It is a really great community and people are pretty supportive and engaging. Um, I think you would make a lot of friends and, and you would be able to play it with your family if you want. And, and it's a lot of fun. It's very social and, and it's something where I think anyone can do it if they if they want to, and if they put their mind to it. Brittany, thanks so much for joining me tonight on the podcast. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do it? Yeah, people can get in touch with me on any of my social medias. Uh, my Instagram is Brittany with two Y's underscore Tran. So it's B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y-Y underscore T-R-A-N. Or my email address is very similar. <laughs> it's Brittany with two Y's dot trend at gmail.com. So yeah, they can reach out that way. Okay. Well, Brittany, thank you so much and uh, good luck. I, I mean, I'm going to ask you now, uh, what's the status of the curling season right now? Are, are you done for the season or uh, is there more curling? Yeah, I was lucky enough to get a little bit of a season and, and I joined the bubble for the Scotties and the Mixed Doubles Nationals. And so that was really great. But yeah, my season's pretty much over now. And so it's planning for next season as, as much as we can um, and just hoping to get to play as much as, as much as we're able to next season. That would be great. That's fabulous. So Brittany, good luck. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So that was my interview with Brittany. If you're a supporter of this podcast, I encourage you to follow our Twitter account, which is the at symbol followed by Kids Curling. One more time, the at symbol followed by Kids Curling. I'll also have that Twitter handle listed in today's show notes. This has been the Coaching Kids Curling podcast. To reach me, Coach Glenn, please email coachingkidscurling at gmail.com. To follow this podcast for free, visit our website, coachingkidscurling.com. You can also find show notes and links to the resources mentioned in this episode 
and in previous episodes. The intro and outro music is Golden Sunrise by Josh Woodward. Thanks for listening. Good luck and good curling.